So last week we established that suffering is the universal language. Doesn't matter who you are, what your age is, really, how long you've been on the planet, each and every one of us have gone through times of suffering. Suffering is a common thread, if you will, that kind of bonds us all together. So we've all had our tragedies in our life and we've all had pain in our life and reality is we all hurt at certain levels on any given day. Now here's a premise thought I want to make as we start our talk today. None of us in this room can escape pain. None of us can. Troubles come our way unexpected all the time. Our bodies will eventually wear out. I was down in Noonan on Tuesday again and if you are on Facebook, I invite you to kind of read a post that I put out there. If you're, uh, we, we have a blog on our church's website. I would encourage you to go there. But I just talked about uh, the pain of seeing a hero fade and deteriorate and watching my dad. These bodies will expire. They wear out. They don't last forever. We live in a twisted world, and there's chaos and confusion and pain all around us. Everybody familiar with that? So every person in this room, under my voice, you're very familiar that pain and suffering is a part of the economy. But something inside of us, really, if we get gut level honest, we don't believe people should suffer. We don't believe that people should be excluded. We don't believe people should die of hunger. We don't believe people should suffer through oppression. And something inside of us will cry out, foul, that's not right. Injustice, God, that's not fair. That's the world in which we live. We don't like to see people hurt. And so oftentimes we'll try to bail people out of their pain. And when we go through suffering and pain, if we're not careful, we start to cry out to God and all of a sudden it doesn't appear that God hears us or God's not rescuing us from our pain when we're in the midst of it. And we start to make assumptions that are inconsistent with reality. Oh, it's like, well, undoubtedly, I'm not worthy of his love or God doesn't even care about me. Anybody ever thought that thought? Come on, just tell the truth. And so we start to go through chaos and it's like, I'm not even worthy. If you knew how jacked up my, my track record was, if you knew where I had been and all the things I'd done, I'm not even worthy of his love. And so we start to make these conclusions that are inconsistent with reality on the character of God based on our behavior. And so a lot of us continue to wallow in our pain and our chaos. Now, here's a fundamental problem. We live in a culture of escapism. This is interesting. I want you to think about this. Escapism is the culture in which we live. Here's a working definition. Escapism is avoiding the unpleasant, avoiding that which is boring, anything that requires effort. Oh, and I'm not doing that. It's ignoring the pressures of daily life. People try to eliminate the pressures and the difficulties of life, whether it be sadness, depression, whatever we start to go through, and people start to try to fill their minds with entertainment and activity, or we start to gravitate toward those less wild lovers of sex, alcohol, and drugs to try to medicate and sedate where we're at. That's the culture in which we live today. Escapism. Just get away. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Now, Blaise Pascal, if you've ever read anything from Pascal, he was a self-proclaimed hedonist of his day. He was all about the pursuit of pleasure. Listen to what Pascal said. He said, it is essential that man distract himself away from the essential. Now, think about it. 
Even this self-proclaimed hedonist said, it is essential that you distract yourself away from that which is essential. Occupy your mind and affection somewhere else, but never deal with reality. Paul Washer is a guy who started an international ministry. I was reading his quote the other day where he said, reality is no longer good enough. Reality is no longer exciting. So many people live their entire life in a fantasy world. When media and video games and everything else become so big in your life, reality is no longer fun. This is the culture that we have moved into. I sent that to my daughter the other day who's 24 years old. And she read it and she responded back, Dad, if there's anything that defines my generation, it's that. We live in a fantasy world. We want to escape. We don't want to deal with any type of real issues. And so escapism is all about pleasure. It's all about parties. It's all about sex, alcohol, and drugs. Let's rock and roll. Let's sedate. Let's minimize and trivialize pain. And let's escape it. We live in a culture that seeks pleasure and seeks to eliminate pain at all costs. The pharmaceutical industry is so huge today because people are running there to try to minimize and trivialize and sedate their pain. But we live in a pleasure-oriented culture. Proverbs 20 117, I love this proverb. It says, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves pleasure, whoever pursues pleasure is going to become poor. Now, here's a fundamental problem that we have, though. And if we're not careful, the postmodern culture will really present this to us. But here's a fundamental problem. We want a God that extends freedom to man but eliminates consequences for any bad decisions and choices we make. And and, and so all of a sudden, we, we want this God that says, you can do whatever you want, and you can have whatever you wish, and you can pursue whatever you want to pursue. And when we live that way, we go, oh, God is good when everything is favoring me, when the outcomes are suiting me. Oh, that God is good. But when we have to reap what we've sown, we go, that God's not good. And when we have to deal with tragedy and pain in our life, a lot of people conclude that God's not good. And it's crazy and it's twisted. In December of 2004, the great tsunami hit the, the bottom rim of the Indian Ocean. I remember seeing uh, documentaries on the Philippines and different places, and over 250,000 people were killed. The great tsunami, 2004, over 250,000 people were killed. And we see the headlines, and we watch it, and we go, man, that's bad. Man, that's sad. But reality is, we wake up the next morning with a migraine and think the world is coming to an end. Here's a fundamental problem. Suffering really only hurts when we're the one going through it. If you're going through it, hey, hey, too bad, man, I'll pray for you. Well, what does that mean? And so we we don't want to be acquainted with suffering and grief and turmoil and and heartache. And, And here's another thing. We make conclusions that if suffering appears to be pointless to me, undoubtedly it's pointless. And even though I can never understand or comprehend why God may be allowing something to happen, I can't reach the conclusion that there's not a purpose in it. So we live in this world that's not fair. You ever notice that? The world we live in is not fair. And 
Life does not always go as we plan it to go. Anybody ever made any plans and they got all screwed up and messed up? So I take this job full time to be the lead pastor here at the Cross Loganville. And I start in January of 2011. And I'm like, man, this is going to be great. And we're in the process of building and creating culture and all that stuff. Well, I start year two and I'm like, man, this is going to be a great year. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. January 19th, 2012, Barb's making Benji a birthday cake for a 17th birthday. She's got on some long pajamas and, and she trips over one of the pajama bottoms. Her foot gets caught and all of a sudden she hits the floor and bam, she blows out her labrum and rotator. And I'm like, man, I really don't need this. It's going to take her 20 minutes to make me a sandwich now instead of two. <laughs> this sucks. And I was really so mindful of Barb, right? And so she's hurting. And I'm like, man, that's not the way we kind of drew up this game plan here, Right? Uh, this is not good, but we had so much going on with the kids playing sports. And so Barb goes in, gets the MRI, and she goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to wait until August. The kids go back to school. We don't have as much going on. And I'm like, oh, man, she's going to be on the DL for like six or seven months. Then she's going to go in for surgery, and then it's going to be another six or seven months in my life. It's not going to be easy because I'm spoiled. I'm like, man, this ain't going right. So they schedule her surgery for August. And I'm like, all right, she's going to have surgery. The morning of surgery, she gets a call at like 6 a.m. from the doctor's office. Hey, Barb, sorry, but Dr. X, the team doctor for Georgia Tech that was going to do her surgery, uh, his wife got really sick last night. He was in the ER all night. I've worked for him for 15 years. He's never canceled a surgery, but he's having to cancel his entire day. So she goes, ah, oh, that was the doctor. I'm like, oh, another three weeks. Here we go. But it was like not the way you planned it. And so Rachel, our daughter, had been in a car wreck. So the week before Barb has surgery, the week before Barb has surgery, Rachel goes in to have surgery. So Rachel is on the DL. She's got ice on her. Same kind of labrum thing. I'm like, this sucks. This is not good. Come on, guys. Y'all ain't never been there. Come on. Come on. And so I was like, all right, so Barb's going to have surgery next Tuesday. But the good thing is I've got mini Barb. I've got Hannah. Hannah runs the show. We're good to go, baby. We can still make it work. That Sunday before Barb was to have surgery, Hannah and Caleb are riding bikes. And Caleb is kind of my ex-gamer. Let's live on the edge and take as many risks as possible. He's jumping ramps, all this. And he looked at Hannah and said, Hannah, I bet you can't ride the bike down into the cul-de-sac with no hands. And three and a half hours later, when we got back from the ER with Hannah's arm in a sling, I said, you were right. She can't. So now I've got like Hannah on the shelf. Rachel's on the shelf. Tuesday, Barb goes in for surgery. Anybody ever been there? I'm <laughs> I make a good sandwich these days. I make a good one. But people walk in here today hurting and your plans got all twisted. Your plans got all twisted. I mean, you spent all this time planning this marriage and this wedding. 
and you didn't forecast a divorce and it hurts and and you got married and you prayed and you planned on having kids but like my friends Smith and Julie or Jeff and Jamie you never anticipated planning a funeral yeah and you were all fired up that you were going to get to be a mom and dad but you never forecasted that you would have to be calling addiction recovery places for your kid to be there for 12 months and you never forecast the pain everybody under my voice has been there the financial woes the hurts the deaths the tragedies and people have asked me over the years tim why do bad things happen why do people suffer why do we hurt so greatly and i will tell you with all my heart we will never totally know the why while we're on this planet people go i know why you're going through it I was flying to Dallas on Wednesday and I said, you know, I just want to jog through the book of Job. And I read like the first 15 chapters and Job's going through all this pain and all this suffering and his friends show up in seven days that were kind of chilling. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know why you're going through this? Because you got sin in your life. You know why you're going, just shut up. We don't know why, but we know people are hurting. Then people will pose the question, Tim, why do bad things happen to good people? Let me go ahead and get this one off the shelf. There's no good people. Yeah, but my grandmother was good. Romans 3 says, for all of us have sinned and we fall short of God's standard. All of us have sinned. There's none righteous. Jeremiah would say, on your good day, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. Paul even said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me and set me free? And here's the conclusion. All of us inherited the Adamic nature straight from Adam, our forefather, when we were born onto this planet. Everything good that comes to us is by the grace of God in spite of our failures and sin. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from God above. Anything good that happens to us is from God. I like how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, he was making this statement to a bunch of religious people, the Pharisees, and he said, uh, ask, it'll be given to you. Uh, Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks on the door, it will be open. And what he's saying is, hey, God is there. I mean, God is a good God. That's the premise statement, point one. God is good. Seek him, pursue him, chase his heart. And then he goes on to say in this text, what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? You would go, man, that's nuts. I mean, Caleb comes to me and says, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? And I'm like, dude, save it. Here's a brick. 
you go, that, that, that's, that's not good. And that's the, the, the point he's making. What, what son among you would do that? If his son came and asked him for a fish, who would give him a snake? Hey, dad, can I have a piece of that fish? No, you can have this stinking copperhead. Wear it. You would go, that sucks. That's, that's bad. That's terrible. Listen to what he goes on to say. If you then be an evil. Evil? Yeah, yeah. If you coming out of a sin nature, fallen nature, if you who struggle with having pure motives, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, even though your motives get all jacked up, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? I mean, we look at that and it's like, do what? And He goes, He's a good God. God is always good. The character of God is never on trial. Just because we go through adversity and pain and suffering, the goodness and character of God is not on trial. It's not. And we'll get there. But here would be my question to you. When you're going through turmoil and adversity, does your circumstances shape your view of God? Or does your view of God help shape your view of the circumstances you're going through? Because if we're not careful, we start to empower the inferior of circumstances instead of really pressing into the heart of God. I, I know people in this room right now are going through pain and heartache, but if you empower your circumstances, you're not going to press into the heart of God. You'll see that as being greater than. But when you start to realize that God is bigger, God is stronger, one of the things for me that helped me and I had this conversation with my daughter this week out in Texas. I said, when you learn to cross out the D and make it an H, you're going to start to win in life. Because all of us go through pain and we go, what a disappointment. But if I can ever get that D off the page and put an H and say, this is God's appointment. This is his appointment. It starts to change my perspective. I start to look in the right direction. And it's a, it's a mindset because I have to believe God is good. Now, it, it's crazy. It's crazy because we've all gone through personal pain and crisis here in this church. Now, when I was seven years old, our family was going to do our first ever family vacation. My dad, eighth grade educated, mom finished the 10th. Uh, dad, drywall man, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we were going to go to the mountains and we were going to go to Cherokee, North Carolina. So we get in that little Ford Falcon and we leave Noonan, Georgia. And I'm so happy the movie of Billy Jack was out and I'd heard that you could get you a Billy Jack hat when you were up there hanging out with the Indian chief and I was so fired up. I'm like, yeah, I'm going there. And we get north of Dahlonega. 85, all the interstates didn't exist then. But we get north of Dahlonega and I start to cry my eyes out and I'm bent over and I'm like, what is going on? And they turn around and we get back to Noonan. They go to the ER and three hours later, they're taking out my appendix right before they rupture. And I'm like, I never got to go on that vacation. A couple years go by and all of a sudden they're like, we got to take your tonsils out. I'm like, that's no good. Then I have toe surgery and then I had knee surgery and then I was with the Astros in 85 and I'm like, we got to take bone chips out of your elbow and two years later, we're going to cut you open again and take spurs out at 88. We got to, we got to dive on in there and it's been multiple things that have happened since 
But can I tell you something? God's goodness and God's character has never been on trial, even in the midst of personal pain and suffering. And I met this dude. I met this dude uh, probably back in about 2007. And this guy was going through some tragedy in his life. He was going through some pain in his life. But he started coming to our Bible study, and he, he was a part of our Bible study, this entrepreneur businessman Bible study. And you talk about having a good attitude. You talk about having a good perspective, even in the midst of going through trial and suffering. His name's Tony, and I want to introduce you to Tony today. Hi. I want to say thanks for giving me this opportunity to share my story with you. My name's Tony Tristani. In 2007, I was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer, stage four. The MRIs had showed that the cancer had spread from my large intestine, where the tumor was, and they would soon operate and remove. But it had metastasized, it turned into cancer in my liver and innumerable tumors in my lungs. So the prognosis for this cancer was pretty dire. Uh, I was scared, my, my family was scared, I laid in the hospital bed. When a thought came to my head, Maybe it was stirred by the Holy Spirit. I'd like to think that. And the thought was, Tony, you belong to God. Live or die, you're God's. What better place to be in? And that was the beginning of my adventure with cancer. Well, that first prayer service, a friend of mine had recently been to a funeral of a young boy that had died of cancer. Uh, she had been at a funeral and she watched that young boy's mother cling to a cross a small cross in her hand as, as she went through the grieving process. My friend uh, decided that she would like me to have that kind of cross, that I would have comfort when I did my chemotherapy sessions. Well, they gave me that cross, and I really appreciate it, and I, and I held it, and here's that cross. And I held onto this cross through that first chemo session, and I, it reminded me to pray, and it reminded me that God is a good God, and it helped me through that first chemo session. Well. My next chemo session was in two weeks, and the, and the neighbors and my friends decided, you know, Tony would probably like to give some of those crosses, not just receive them. So our next prayer service, a Sunday night before the chemo session, I received three crosses to give away. Wow, I knew exactly who to give them to. Well, long story short, in the last year, I've given out about 130 crosses, one-on-one. -on -one, and I will tell you that every incident, every time I shared the cross, it was a wonderful experience. It was a God experience. And we shared, and I shared very briefly, the same story every time. My friends gave me this cross that I might have comfort when I had my chemo. I'd like to share that same cross with you, uh, share a cross with you, that you might have find comfort. And that's all I say. And then I sit back and watch God work wonders in their life. Well, in January of this year, I had a stroke. It left me paralyzed. I couldn't even open my eyes. But I could hear, and I was aware, and, and I could speak a little. In the emergency room, I heard the nurses clamoring and going back and forth as they worked on me and the doctors worked on me. And I said to one of the nurses, can you reach in my pocket and pull my cross out and place it next to me? My wife pulled the cross out and the nurse saw it and she says, where'd you get that cross? And I said, about a year ago, a friend of mine gave me this cross when I started chemotherapy. She says, my son has cancer. And I said, how's he doing? And she says, he's fine. And that was, that was it. I, I must have passed out, but a couple hours later, I had regained my vision, a little bit of movement on my right side, and I was watching the nurses work around the room so wonderfully. 
and I recognized that one nurse. Her name was Kim. And I said, Kim, are you the nurse who had a son who had cancer? And she stopped what she's doing. She came close to the bed. And she says, yes. And I said, Kim, and I don't know why I said this, but in my heart, I knew something. And I said, Kim, your son died, didn't he? She stopped and tear swelled up in her eyes. And she said, yes, he did. I said, what was his name? Jack. Tell me about Jack. And she began to describe the most wonderful little boy paintball with his friends, football in the neighborhood. In fact, they were football champions in, the, in, in, in their city before he died. And that was a big part of the, her story. And I began to recognize this story. I began to recognize as she talked about the paintball and the football, because and, and I had heard it before. And I said, Kim, do you know my friend Karen Salter? And she said, yeah, she's one of my dear friends. Well, folks, you got to realize, in the big town of Atlanta, it was a random chance that I was there at St. Joseph's Hospital in the emergency room and Kim was my nurse. What a random shot. I said, Kim, you're not going to believe this, but Karen saw you at Jack's funeral holding this comfort cross and she wanted me to have it that I might have find comfort. Since then, I've given over 130 of those crosses to my friends and, and to other ca cancer patients. Kim, because of Jack, 130 people know the comfort of the cross. Tears began to flow through her eyes. A couple of days later, she came into my hospital room and she told me, Tony, through this year-long grieving process about Jack, I needed to know that Jack's life was significant. And you know what? I know now that through Jack, 130 people know about the comfort of the cross. I just know that God is real and He's a big God. He's everywhere, and He's a good God. God is good. So here's the interesting thing. My buddy Tony died. He went to be with Jesus in January of 2011. And these comfort crosses, I'm like, dude, how powerful. And Tony would share the power of the cross and the message of the cross, and the hope of the cross with whoever was hooked up getting chemo dropped into a port. And I said, good for you, bud. Good for you. We go to his celebration service. It was about three or four hours long. It was one of the funniest, inspiring, motivating times I've ever sat through in my life. And Tony really believed that God is good. If you walk into my office here at the Terra, I have a little small refrigerator. I have a magnet on that refrigerator. I got the magnet the day of Tony's funeral. And it says, God is good. And Nick and these guys will tell you, it hangs there as a reminder of the faithfulness of God. Some of us sit here and go, you know what, I'm praying for a miracle. Tony received a miracle when he received salvation. Every person that even experiences healing will eventually die. We're all going to die one day. And people go, man, I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Well, it's a reality. And back to the escapism mindset of our culture, we try to, again, just eliminate any thoughts about reality. But God is good all the time. God is still faithful and strong in the midst of whatever we're going through. We find comfort in the cross of Jesus and Him alone. God is good. 
Here's the second reality. Bad things will happen to us all. Sin disrupted humanity at every level. I say that repeatedly. Jesus even made the statement that here on earth you will have many trials. You're going to have many sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Here's one of the things I've learned as I've walked with people over the years. We do not have permission to grade another person's pain, suffering, and tragedy. My friend Smith and Julie, when their little son Jack, at the age of four, was run over, they started going through grief counseling. They started going through a group of grieving families that were going through a variety of things. And Smith called me one day and he said, here's what I've learned. Every person that's going through whatever they're going through grieving to them, it's a 10. He's like, it's a 10. And he said, you know, people oftentimes will look, Sam, man, your little dude ran behind the Suburban and got run over. He said, that's a 10 for me. He said, that guy in there that was married for 25 years, whose wife just died of cancer, what he's going through is a 10. Every person is going through pain at some level right now. And whatever we're going through, we feel like, man, this is terrible. And we can't rank tragedy. We can't rank suffering. Again, I was talking to my buddy Jeff weeks ago, and he shared his story. And I'm like, man, it breaks my heart. I, I, I don't even know what to say other than just say, I love you. Man, it just breaks my heart to hear that. But we all go through it, right? I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about this. And I told this to my mom on Tuesday. I said, you know, I was thinking, when was the first time in my life that I really concluded Life's not fair. Life's not fair. I said, Mom, I was an eight-year-old boy, little dude up the road, David Thomas. I'll never forget him. I said, he jumps the fence, and all of a sudden, he dives into this pool, and he don't know how to swim. And I said, Mom, I'll never forget as a little eight-year-old boy sitting there on the porch with you. And I was puking, and I was crying because my heart was just, it was so torn. That was the first time I was like, it's not fair. This little dude grew up on the mill village in extreme poverty. And when, when, when was the first time you started to really realize that's not fair all the time? But, but is there something beyond the turmoil and chaos? And the hope of the gospel and the hope of the cross is there's, there's more to it than what we're experiencing at any given moment. I was having that conversation with mom the other day. I was like, it hurts. People have asked, uh, why do bad things happen? I don't know. I can't tell you all the answers. Uh, I can tell you we live in a fallen world and Satan's real and sin is real and people, they, they, they get sideways at times. That's the reason. I, I, I can tell you that some of us sit here today and the reason we're going through pain and sorrow is because it's a self-inflicted wound. We did something. We jacked it up. Yeah, yeah, I did it. I'm on this flight back from Dallas yesterday. It was crazy. Girl sitting in front of me had the barf bag out most of the flight. I'm like, this is really fun. And there's this Asian lady sitting next to her. She couldn't speak any English. I offered to put her bag up for her, and she just looked at me. I said, you want me to grab your bag? And she smiled and lifted her bag. I'm like, I don't think she's speaking any English. And the flight attendant came to tell her what flight she was on next, and she just looks at her, writes it down on a piece of paper, and she goes, okay, got it. 
But this girl next to me, she's like bent over, and this Asian lady starts to do this acupressure on her. I was like, this is drip. She's taking her thumbs and massaging her temples and massaging her scalp. And I mean, she's like working on it for like 15 minutes. And then she starts doing pressure places here in the hand. And I'm like, check it out. She don't speak her language, but she speaks pain. I identify with pain. Maybe I can help you with your pain. All of a sudden, we land and we taxi to the gate. and They're getting ready to open the door. And the girl in front of me stands up. And I said, well... I mean, if you're going to be sick, not a bad flight to be on because you had a little acupressure therapist right there beside you. And she goes, I know, it was so good. She goes, ah, oh, I just feel so bad. I'm so hungover. You're hungover. Well, I'm glad you didn't throw up because I didn't feel like smelling that. Regurgitated screwdriver all day but think about it I've been hung over and I hurt it was self-inflicted I've been seasick at times just nauseous maybe not self-inflicted but I was sick it, do it doesn't matter the reality is that girl was hurting and this lady that didn't even speak her language cared enough to reach out to her and whatever your reason for coming in here today hurting is God loves you. God cares about you. And so whether it's just the fallen world we live in or whether it's some self-inflicted wound that you've created, maybe God is wanting to break you and he's showing you more of his character in the midst of whatever you're going through. God loves you. God is good. Let me encourage you. Point three in this thing is trust God to lead you. God's not mad at you. God's not down on you. We know without a doubt that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them for the purpose of worshiping him and having fellowship with him and enjoying him and glorifying him. We know they jacked it up. We inherited it. All of us. I've heard people say, well, if Adam and Eve hadn't jacked it up, you would have jacked it up too. So would I. You're not that good. There would have been something that would have enticed you that you would have run from God and decided God's not enough. And even as a believer, truth be known, yeah, God's still not enough. You still pursue less wild lovers at times and God's going, stop it. Stop it. But the image was distorted. And we really believe with all of our hearts that the power of the cross and the power of the gospel, that when Jesus died, was crucified and was raised on the third day that he extended salvation, which means you and I can be made right with God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God says, I want to give you salvation. And then he says, I want to lead you into sanctification, progressive sanctification. I want to conform you every day to be more like my son. And then ultimately, he wants to lead us to glorification. That's when we're going to be with him and be made completely perfect. The cross is so powerful. Even when we jacked it up, God still graced us and loved us. And what I've come to realize in my own life is when I embrace the goodness of God's grace, no matter what I'm going through, my tragedy can be turned into triumph. I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to live as the victim. I can live as the victor no matter what I'm going through. You see, God loves you. You can trust God to lead you. God's wanting you to press into him. He's enough. Now, I'm going to wrap it with one of my favorite chapters and passages in the scripture.
Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you cut me open, I'll bleed Romans 8 from 8-1 all the way through the end of the chapter. Man, I love this chapter. But verse 28 is one of those often quoted passages. And it says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. God will ultimately cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, he doesn't say all things are good. All things at times are not good. There's bad things. There's troubling things. There's heartaches that we go through. Again, all things are not good. We live in a world of evil. We live in a postmodern culture where truth has become at best subjective and relative. It's, it's, it's bad. But he says, I want you to know that God will cause all things to work together for good. Joseph, what your brothers meant for evil, homie, I meant it for good. I'm going to use you to restore and deliver. So if we can ever get our perspective back on God, not our circumstances, to go, all right, I don't know what you're going to do, but there's still going to be good in this. Romans 8, one of my favorite verses. Memorize this one right when I came to faith in Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, the phrase, if God be for us, for, not only means that God is on my side, but it literally means God took my place. If God is for me, if God is willing to take my place, who can be against me? The one who would step out of the portals of heaven, strap on a robe of flesh, live 33 years. No, he, he's on your side, but he's for you. He's willing to take your place no matter what you're going through on any given day. I want to lead you. I want to direct you. I want to comfort you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Now, as I was pondering this, I'm like, dude, this is so powerful. When he becomes the Atoning sacrifice for us, Nick. He goes, I've taken your place once and for all. Now, I don't want to go back over and try to take my place when I'm going through pain and suffering. He's already took my place. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer, it's not me living now. It's Christ living in me. I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, press into me. So I was writing this down, four powerful truths since God is for me. I want you to think about this all in Romans 8. If God is for me, four truths. Number one, there's no intimidation any longer. I cannot be bullied by the lies of hell any longer unless I empower them to do so. Verse 32, since God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, remember the for us phrase, won't God who gave us Christ give us everything else as well? Let me tell you what he's saying. You don't have to live intimidated because you have a good father that really has your best interest in mind. When you're going through pain and you're going through suffering and you're going through adversity, God is good. The character of God hasn't changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We live in a crazy world. Disease, sickness, all this crap is around us. But God is like, you don't have to live intimidated. And I'm telling you right now, when my man Tony was sharing, and I'm watching that, he goes, God is good. God is good. And even those last days, I, I saw Tony. And he goes, and, and fluid was filling up his lungs, and it was kind of a rough time for him. But he would say, 
God is still good. God is good. Did death intimidate him? No. As a believer in Christ, if God be for you, there's no intimidation. Here's the second thing. There's no incrimination. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. God is the one who justifies. Who can bring incriminating evidence of my past and hold it against me today? God says, no, I'm the one that justifies. Justified means to be declared totally right in the eyes of the king. So when people come against me and they try their best to incriminate me with something I've done in the past, I am free. Praise God, I've been set free. The accuser of the brethren stands before the throne day and night, Revelation 12, making accusations against the saints. But Revelation 12, 11, it's my life verse. Why? My birthday's 12, 11. Stay hot. Get your life verse. Let's go. Get your birthday verse. But Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him, who? The accuser, through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, despising not even their own lives to the point of death. What are you saying? They could not be incriminated against. The enemy can't accuse me before the presence of God any longer. Blood of Christ cleanses me of all sin. So there's no intimidation. There's no incrimination. I got good news for you. There's no condemnation. That's what he says. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No. For he is the one who died for us. Who died for us? Who took our place? Christ Jesus. He was raised to life. And he is seated at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Oh, you would do yourself some good to go through Romans 8 and just circle for us and for us and for us and for us. Why? I've taken your place. Who can condemn me? Who can sentence me? I'm under the blood of Christ. When God looks at me, all he sees is the blood of his Savior, his Son, the Redeemer. Man, that is so good to know. There is no intimidation. There's no incrimination there's no condemnation and then he says there's no separation who will separate us from the love of Christ what will separate us from the love of Christ and he goes on to say not trouble not hard times no not hatred not hunger not bullying not being backstabbed not 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 nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Man, I'm telling you right now, in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of adversity, brother, we know, Mike, that we can press into him and he's worthy to be trusted. He is a chain breaker. He loves us. He's available for us. Do I believe this with all my heart? Yes. Do I believe he's given us a will? Yes. Can we repent? Yes. Can we totally unplug from the world? Yes. Can I totally plug into Christ? Yes. Or am I still going to suffer? Yes. Just because I, I get Jesus doesn't mean that I'm immune from living in this crazy world. But now I've got the power of God and the hope of the gospel in me. 
And he goes, I want you to know some cash money. Greater is the one who lives inside of you than anything that lives in the world. Praise God. No incrimination. No intimidation. No condemnation. Next late, ain't no separation, baby. We're in great shape. And I would, I would highly encourage you, you come in here today and you go, I've never surrendered. I've never totally repented. I mean, I would highly encourage you to do that today. It's time for me to get right with the king. Maybe you said, hey, I, I've, I've asked Christ to save me, man, but I am still living under condemnation, guilt, and shame. And we would love to be able to pray over you today. God wants to set you free. He wants you to believe what he believes about you is enough. He's a chain breaker. He, he, he wants to set you free. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, we'll answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I, I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.